1: Well, indeed, we are your
2: hosts, and we're delighted to be here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. Carol's a nationally known gerontologist. As you may know, she's chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging and serves as executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, an organization that gives out a whole lot of money in this community, helping predominantly seniors.
3: Seniors and their caregivers. You do good work. Thank
2: you. Thank you. As you take a look at uh, our our next guest who's going to be coming up in just a few minutes, Dr. Christopher Rayo, you'll be talking about what you ought to know about that doctor visit, the who, what, where, when, why, and how.
3: And and this is really important because, A, sometimes it's hard to get doctor visits. Um, You're obviously, someone's not feeling well if you're going in to see the doctor, and you have limited time with the doctor. So from beginning to end, what do you need to do in advance, what do you need to do, during that doctor visit, and what do you need to think about afterwards? Do you know when things are going south?
2: All coming up in just a few minutes. But before we do that, uh, it's almost as if uh, there's a revolving door out there that brings food in and out and in and out. Sometimes it's okay, sometimes it's not. What about butter? Is butter, after all the negatives, good for
3: us? Well, this is good news for all of you who are cooking out of the Julia Child cookbooks. Because butter is back on the, you know, I've got six reasons why butter is good for you. So everybody will be very, very happy about it. I'm happy about this. Um, did you know that butter is filled with immune-boosting vitamins?
2: I did not know that. You know,
3: when you think butter, you're not thinking vitamins. let you're thinking say, yeah. fat. No, you're not thinking about that. But when you put butter on your toast in the morning, you're giving yourself vitamins A and D, And because butter is a fat, those vitamins get absorbed in that. It makes it easy for you to absorb them because it's being carried in the fat. So it's a great way to get your vitamin A and D.
2: This is written by the Dairy Council? No,
3: it's not written. I'm looking. I don't see anybody from the Dairy Council. Butter keeps your bones strong. It also has vitamin K with that vitamin D. So it can help increase bone and muscle strength. There was some study that um, said there's a 30% decrease in hip fractures in women who consume at least 110 micrograms, I have no idea what a microgram is, per day, according to the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, and that is not a dairy group.
2: Makes your bones slippery.
3: It (laughs) makes them, uh, wow, okay, I can't answer that. So butter reduces the symptoms of diabetes, It can help alleviate constipation and may protect you against colon cancer. You're not thinking that when you're slathering butter on your corn. No,
2: you are not. You
3: are not. And butter is better than margarine, which we all know. Chemicals. Because of all of those chemicals. um, And there's a lot of vegetable fats in the margarine that actually are worse for you than the saturated fat you've been avoiding in your butter. Wow. The last one on the list, again, not going to know this one. Butter prevents tooth decay.
2: Seriously?
3: Seriously. it's um, They're all those fat-soluble vitamins and minerals, which is calcium, vitamin A, and D we just talked about. Those are good for your teeth, and they're easy to absorb. So butter's back on the table.
2: There you are. I, I've spent so much time weaning myself
3: off butter. But, wow. So, yeah. How are your teeth?
2: White. Doing Solid. pretty
3: good. Doing pretty good.
2: Old. They're old. They're old. Because they're all they're mine. Gonna, yeah,
3: they're, they're going <laughs> to Your teeth will outlast everyone. Uh,
2: well, let's hope. <laughs> now, once you have done that and you've done the butter thing, that brings you to what you put on that toasted breakfast. Because it turns out, Carol Zernio, a big breakfast is a good thing.
3: A big breakfast is a great thing. For those of us who love big breakfast, See, if I could for do you, whatever you're I want. farm girl. That's why. Uh, I grew up in a city, but I would like to be a farm girl So because I get this big breakfast. So a lot in the United States, a lot of us have these light breakfasts. Oh, a little piece of toast, a cup of coffee, on the run, off we go, off to work, and then we have this big dinner. Well, that's kind of backwards because you really do need to have the day to get rid of all those calories. So a big breakfast, it gets your energy up. Um, you get all of those vitamins and minerals, and you get that protein, and you have the chance to work it off. It keeps you on your schedule better, um, and so a big breakfast is actually good for
2: you. I'm showing Carol a picture of the omelet that uh, my wife made this morning. She makes an omelet every day. Egg beaters, egg beater omelet.
3: Well, and the egg—I hope there's butter on that egg. There is no butter, but I'm going to have to talk to
2: her about that (laughs) now. Yeah, put some butter on that. Yeah, more butter.
3: You know, in Europe, you go and they have the meats and the cheeses and the fruits and you know, and or any breakfast buffet at any hotel in the United States. That's what you need for breakfast, but you got to have a light dinner if you do that. Now. Once
2: you've eaten all that butter, and by the way, you've just joined us. This cooking show is brought to you by WellMed (laughs) Charitable Foundation. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air at 9.30 a.m. The Answer, Ron Aaron. Along with Carol Zerner, we are honored to have on the controls today, Barry Bess, the boss of bosses here at, I guess you can't even say the call letters anymore, 9.30 a.m. The Answer. There you are. So once we have done the big breakfast thing, you, you had mentioned you got to get up and walk it off. It turns out, if as my grandma Tamarkin used to call it, you have arthritis, walking around is not a bad thing.
3: No, it's not a bad thing. You know, there there are millions of people in the United States who get arthritis. It's very, very common. And what happens when that people get arthritis? Oh, their knees hurt, their shoulders hurt, their elbows hurt, their wrists hurt, something hurts, and they cut back on their activity. And then what happens when they cut back on their activity is they start losing range of motion. They start losing functioning. They start feeling like, I don't get to do the fun things I used to do. Life isn't as good. You get depressed. Um, so arthritis can start a downward spin. Spiral. It's a, it can be a downward spin.
0: So get moving.
3: So, well, they did a 10-year study of about 2,000 men and women with arthritic knees Um, And almost none of them got 150 minutes of exercise, moderate physical activity a week, which we know is the recommendation. But those that did get more exercise functioned better, um, had less disability. And so the more time that people with arthritis spend doing physical activity, the more they can do.
2: And it turns out, and you've talked about this, there are a number of studies that show With exercise, you don't really need the medication you're taking every morning, those 27 ibuprofens, to fight the pain of arthritis.
3: No, no. In fact, doing the physical activity actually lubricates the joints, makes them feel better. It's a better pain reducer, the exercise is, than a lot of the medications. And if you're overweight or obese, you're putting extra stress on those hips and on your joints and on your knees, so you have even more more reason to exercise and so if you're out there and you're not a person to exercise or your loved one has arthritis and and he, he or she doesn't exercise a great way to start is walking laps in a swimming pool so you get that resistance in the water you can build up some you know your thigh muscles then maybe you could move on to walking out you know a little bit longer doing some bike riding or some other activities but you know, if you talk to the Arthritis Foundation, they will tell you exercise helps arthritis.
2: Get in the pool.
3: Get in the pool. pools. Do good idea. something.
2: Finally, when you look at dementia and dementia care, uh, it turns out there's big value in the arts.
3: Well, yeah, you know, I found this article uh, on Next Avenue and uh, talking about why the arts are so important to dementia care, and I had actually been on a webinar with this exact program um, that. You know, talked about dementia and the arts, and it really is a wonderful thing. I mean, so picture the arts, picture using um, imagination uh, instead of memory tests. So a lot of times in activities we're trying to help people recall what happened in World War II or Korea or Vietnam, you know, and instead of um, going, the shift is from expecting and correcting memory to connecting through imagination and so instead of saying you know who's the picture who's the person in this picture you say what would you like the name of the person in the picture to be oh well, that's cool and so you know let them tell you oh that looks like betsy or that looks our name should be butterfly because look at her long eyelashes At which can be a very pleasant conversation or instead of saying what year is it You know, holding up um, a storybook and saying, what year would you like that? When would you like this story to take place? And they might say, well, a long, long time ago or or maybe way, way in the future. So when when someone has dementia, their ability to imagine and create new ideas uh, doesn't get diminished. And it can be a wonderful telling stories and living in imagination can be a lot more fun for everybody than trying to stick with reality which is kind of slipping away. Dr.
2: Christopher Rayo joins us in a couple of moments. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zernial, flat out of time for this portion of Caregiver SOS on air. You hear us at nine thirty A. M. The answer. I'm Ron Aaron and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a well med patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eickhoff, that's not by accident.
4: No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our clinic home.
2: And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time My well-med physician spends with me, and you do the same thing with your patients.
4: Yeah, I I really do try to, and and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give. And I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases.
2: That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well.
4: We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. One
2: information about WellMed, want to be a WellMed patient? Call 210-614-WELL. 210-614-WELL. I love that little <laughs> bumper music. Kind of brings us back in a high note. I'm Ron Aaron Along with Carol Zernia, we are so pleased you are with us. And as we promised, Dr. Christopher Rao joins us. He is a well-made physician, hangs out along the Treasure Coast in Florida. That would be the west coast of Florida along the bay. Uh, not a bad place to be, Dr. Rao. Thanks for coming on with us.
5: Yes, and uh, actually the Treasure Coast is on the east coast. We're about two-thirds of the way down on the east coast there, just oh. a little bit north of Palm Beach and the Treasure Coast. Yeah, I was watching... all the way up to yeah, I'm, turned around. I'm so glad
3: you said that because I've been, been sitting here going west coast.
5: Yeah, west I thought coast. it was west coast, <laughs> east We're coast. Palm Beach area and all yeah. of that. You know, it's fancy here. But it's also a little bit of country, too. It's like a little bit of country and a little bit of rock and roll over here.
2: Now, what brought you down there?
5: Well, I'm originally raised in New Orleans, and I did my training in family practice at the Seventh-day Adventist Hospital in Orlando. And with the traffic there going on and the Mickey Mouse sort of town it is, I wanted to move to a small little coastal Floridian community, and lo and behold, Stuart had uh, filled the uh, bill on that one.
2: And the uh, University of New Orleans, where you, uh, you went to school... You spent most of your formative years in NOLA?
5: Yes. It's a wonderful place. I was actually there at Jazz Fest just two weeks ago. I got to scratch off my one of my bucket list things, which was to see the Who perform live. No kidding. Yes. Wow. wow.
3: That came up in our last radio show yeah. as well. Really. Another Who Who hmm. fan. And
2: yeah. I mentioned uh, Grateful Dead are going on a tour again this summer. Is that on your list? Uh, I may have to catch that as well. <laughs> All right. Well,
3: they're coming to, what, coming to San Antonio? Well, they
2: haven't announced where they're going. Oh,
3: okay. You'll have to stay tuned. We'll let you know yeah. where you can find them. Exactly.
5: This, this show is more about the grateful living, though. So it's going to be wonderful to talk about this topic, which I think it's paramount to getting the most out of your physician visit, physician-patient visit.
2: So tell us about that, because in the old days and – I know this still happens uh, to some. Uh, you finally get a doctor's appointment. You go in. You sign in to get your insurance, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. Now, yeah. in your clinic, that's not true, right?
5: Uh, we don't call it a waiting room. We call it a reception area. Well, that's and nice. it's not just a... You know, a, uh, what would you call it? A spin word and that to, to, to use. You know, we actually try to receive the patients, could call them by, by name. The person walks out into the, the reception area to greet them and then brings, brings them back. And that brings up a very important point where, where, you know, if it's a new patient, I recommend the staff to remind them to come in a half hour before their, visit and if they're established patient, to come in 15 minutes before the the visit with the doctor because that allows them to check in, you know, to see what's what's going on and meet staff. A lot of times in the reception area that they'll have things about the, the staff that you may want to know. You may be surprised to find out that so-and-so went to school with your, your daughter and may have similar issues interest that you have. So we really want to have a homey feel for folks to feel like this is their home away from home. And that's where important things can take place, like making sure your insurance card is is up to date. You want to make sure that the contact information is right with addresses and phone numbers. And a very important thing is to at least give us at least another good contact uh, number. It can be a family member, a caregiver, or a neighbor in case we have trouble reaching the patient that we can reach them there to try to uh, reach out to see what's uh, going on with them. So that contact is very important.
3: Well, let me go back to something that Ron said, which was you, you get the doctor's appointment. So let's go back to the beginning yes. because I know that when we're talking about making the most of a doctor visit, that doesn't start when, you, when the doctor walks into the room. There's something that needs to happen before you actually sit down with the physician, I would guess.
5: Yes. You know, uh, I started today with CMS and the health health insurances and all that. A lot of things that have to be done that the front office has to make, to, make, to make sure is right.
2: Now, what is CMS?
5: Uh, that's the uh, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which is a, the big government agency that rules all the stuff, you know. Well, well do From you? The paying and everything.
3: So, what about the um, the caregiver that's been on the internet for hours researching, got their stack of papers? Do you how you know? Do you like it when a patient comes in and with a or a caregiver comes in, armed to the? Elbows with all the research that they've done, getting ready yes, for that visit. You know, visit.
5: There's, you know, you want to try to hone that that down some. It's good to have all of that available, but that's some things that you may want to ask the office before you you come in. As I say, always to call up the doctor's office the day before the uh, visit, at least to uh, confirm the time you know, and who that you are going to see. Are you going to see the the doctor or, you know, a P, PA or what? And it's good to know what's expected of you and what what you're going to expect of, uh, uh, of them. So in other words, you may be expected to come in fasting to that visit because they may want to do some fasting labs or such. They definitely, for us, you need to have, I mean, we ask people to bring in, A bag of all of the medications that they they take. Uh, Also, if it's anything that's over the counter, any supplements because of the obvious interaction that can occur. Uh, Any inhalers that they may use if they have emphysema or asthma. If they're diabetic, we have to bring in their machines. in that case, that we want to make sure that their machine is working properly, that they know how to use them, and it's up to a date. But so anything that you use to, to monitor your health, even we ask them if they have high blood pressure, and they check it at home to please bring in their blood pressure machine so that they, we can check it and see if it corroborates with uh, uh, our machine. Hey. All right,
2: now hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you. I'm Ron Aaron, along with sure. Carol Zernio. You're listening. The Caregiver SOS on air right here on 930 AM. The answer, we're talking with Dr. Christopher Rayo, a physician with WellMed in South, well, Central Florida, I guess. Not South Florida. Central Florida, right? The East Coast. The Treasure Coast. Yeah, I know. It's on the East Coast. Thank you. You're welcome. Treasure Coast, the East Coast, yes. So, Carol. Well,
3: you know, I think that... Dr. Rayo has just mentioned a lot of things that probably many people don't think about, particularly the medication. I heard you mention bringing your prescription medications, bring in your vitamins, your over-the-counter, you know, your supplements. A lot of people don't really, they think that bringing in your medications means anything that has a prescription label on it.
5: That's probably the most important thing we do every visit is we do what's called a medication review and reconciliation because a lot of times with the patient says, you know, we'll walk in and just say, well, you know, the, the, the medications I'm on the same ones. It's like, no, we don't really know. And we, just because we have it listed here doesn't mean it's exactly what that you would take because there's different names for the for the same drug. It's also very very important, and, and I can give you an example. Just uh, today, a patient came in. Uh, we had to verify the the medications the person didn't bring in the bottles, so we had them them to call back with the exact you know list of things with the the dosing as well as the times that they take them, which you, is you sometimes, too. You sometimes it wound find... up that half of the person's issues they had were because they were taking the wrong medications at the wrong time. They were taking a, uh, an over-the-counter sleep aid in the morning, and they were taking a diuretic, which is a fluid pill, which is going to make you want to urinate. They were, they were taking that before going to bed and one of the complaints they had was that they was up all night, you know, have to go to the to the to the bathroom. So just going through them the the pills and all that and and it does take a time to do that, but it's very important because pills can help but they can also hurt. Now they do you often catch you so catch mistakes. We want to make sure we we have to know exactly what they take and at what times, especially if they call up, let's say, with a problem on down the road. You know, we can help them uh, with a phone call. If we don't know the the pills that they're on, then we may prescribe them some 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 things that may uh, may may cause some harm.
3: So so that was the before the visit or first in the visit. You, you brought them in. You reviewed their medications. What about during the visit? Because, I mean, as a physician, um, all of us know that we have precious time allocated to be with you when you come into the room. So how do we make the most of the time the physician is in the room?
5: Well, that's a very good thing, too, is besides your... Your list of pills and all that is to write down be beforehand any of the issues that you you definitely want to address during that visit, and I would would list them from the 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 top one being the most important one to you, and then to to list them all down, and uh, at least for me. I can look at that list, you know, real, real, real quick, and that stuff, and I can address the uh, top three, but there may be a few things that's on the 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 bottom of the list, which may be also a problem that's causing something which is on the top of the list. So it's very good to have a list of the issues you want addressed, along with any other specialists that that you may see if you've seen a cardiologist or a pulmonologist, let's say, which is a heart specialist and a lung specialist respectively. If you've had some recent lab lab work in the past year, you know, if you have co- copies of that, it really helps us out. Uh, if you have any reports of x-rays, you know, if somebody uh, was in the ER just three or four months ago with a complaint complaint of chest pain, and they checked out the heart and it was fine. And they say it's due to something else. It would be very nice for us to have that report then, so that, that we can look at that and then move on 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 that, and not have to to worry about pursuing that avenue. All right,
2: hold that thought. Got to interrupt you right here. We're going to come right back to you, Doctor Rao. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernioff. But there's a lot to know and a lot to remember when you go see the doc, and we're learning a lot about that from Dr. Christopher Rayo. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. One of the things I'd love to talk about with uh, Dr. Robin Eikoff, I'm Ron Aaron, by the way, is prevention, and it's something that WellMed spends a lot of time on.
4: We do spend a lot of time on prevention because the fact is we know when we spend time on prevention, people live longer, healthier lives.
2: So what do you look for in in, in terms of preventing disease?
4: Well, as a provider, we're going to spend a lot of time with our patients looking at lab work, doing tests, looking for things early, encouraging preventative exams like an eye exam, uh, mammograms, colonoscopies, all the things that help us prevent severe illness.
2: And it's one of the things that WellMed has always prided itself on.
4: We've always been the forerunner for prevention. And now everybody's jumping on board, and I'm glad to see it.
2: Giving new meaning to patient-centered health care. Yes, it does. Dr. Robin Eikoff. I'm Ron Aaron. By the way, you catch us on WellMed Radio Saturdays at 5 in the afternoon, right here on 930 AM, The Answer. You have found yourself on Caregiver SOS On Air. We are so pleased you are with us. This program airs weekly at 6 p.m. Sunday afternoons on 9.30 a.m. The answer aimed at caregivers and their families. I'm Ron Aaron along with our co-host Carol Zerniel, and we are talking on our Caregiver SOS hotline from Florida, a well-med physician there, Dr. Christopher Rayo, and we were talking about what to cover in the doctor's office. I want to come back uh, for just a moment, Dr. Rayo, uh, when you're going over medications, you're going over prescriptions, you know what you prescribe because it's in your records. Uh, have you come across uh, errors where maybe the wrong drug or the wrong uh, directions were given?
5: It, I, I would have to say that that happens about one-tenth of the uh, time. One-tenth? Yeah, very common. Oh, I mean, sounds it Sounds may like way too often. Like, yeah. You know, it may be that the patient has been on the same three or four pills for the past three or four years but things change as as uh, people age the metabolism it will 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 change some so it's not necessarily true that the same dose drug 5 to 10 years ago is the same you know is the best choice uh, now and actually that we've had many patients that that have uh, have come in on Seven to thirteen pills, and trying to optimize the lifestyle and the pills that we we can many times get that down to much uh, less.
3: Well, the thing that you said that fascinated me. I, I know about making the list of questions, but I would never think of giving you the list of questions. I would hold it in my little hand and want to ask them one at a time. I thought it was interesting that you like to look at the whole list of questions. So that you can kind of get the whole picture of what's going kind of like on. Like,
5: Stan can see exactly what's like, you know, what's the things, you know, from there. It's a part, and there's ships. So the main thing is that we both have to work towards the same goal. So if we can can share that, and what what happens is that I don't want us to run out out of time cause they because the fact is that we may have at the very most a half hour of time. To really to deal with a person's commodity, their most important commodity that they have, which is their their health. And you know the time it takes to diet to to diagnose and to treat, you know, a car or a house. Well here that we've just put this the way that that things are and in that half hour visit we have to make the the most of that. So it helps to sort of to look at the list really quick and to say well, you know, of all of these, what's the most important ones to you? And then also for like me, you know, when I look at this list, to me, I see, you know, that that you can't sleep, that you're stressed out, you get these pal- palpitations and all that. So there's, there's sometimes I can look at that as like a crossword uh, uh, puzzle and can try to hone in on some, you know, two to three things that may be the root cause of all the the rust of them. You know? yeah,
3: I thought that was a very good point. I'm going to remember that and I'm going to type my list of questions because my handwriting is not legible.
5: You're right a the doctor. In actuality, it's a uh, 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 not a, a, a trick but it's the trick that they teach us is to, you know, if the patient has a list of things that they want uh, addresses to try to get the list and to, to uh, at least to scan it because you know, let's say for the patient, they 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 may not necessarily know what what may be the most important thing. Let's let's say, and they're concerned about their skin or you know various eye, eye eyelid bags, or hair loss, or something else. But yet, at the very end, there's some uh, some a a complaint of chest pain or, or a a tremor, say, which for us that. That may be a most important one to address at the visit. It may right. be something. If it's left undiagnosed for a while, uh, it may get worse. So it's good to scan the list and to make sure at least you know to a, agree. Let's work on these these two to three things now because it's it, it's it's best to work on two to three things and to get a good plan going, than to try to cram in ten, ten things. In fifteen uh, minutes' time, and there's so much discussion and being rushed and con- confusion, and all that it would be really the best thing that you can almost wish at the first visit is for the the doctor and the patient to really be on on the same page as far as their their health. You know, where ha- have they 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 been? Where are they now in their health? And then where do they they wish
2: to go. Now, hold you that know, thought. Their, we're going to come right call. back to you. Hold that thought. I want to remind folks who may have just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air right here on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernia. And we're <coughs> talking uh, with Dr. Christopher Rayo, a physician in Florida, a well doc, a family practitioner, grew up in New Orleans and yep. ended up in a very pretty part of the world. Carol?
3: Well, so we've talked about preparing for the visit. We've talked about the visit and the time that we spend with the doctor. Is there any, before we talk about after the visit, because a lot of times we don't talk about after the visit, right. um, is there anything else before the doctor leaves the room, if we've gotten our question and we've prioritized and we've discussed these things, is there anything else that ha- needs to well, happen while you know, you're there?
5: As, as, as we know, there are, are a lot of uh, different agendas, going on at the same time. You know, one is that the in, insurance firm may want to make sure that the patient has had all of their annual screening exams done. The patient is going in there wanting these three or four things done, a prescriptions filled or whatnot. Then the doctor will have his or her a... Agenda, and so different different agendas have to come together during the visit. So it's very important with the communication and be quite quite clear. And uh, if there is a problem, it always helps to bring uh, a, a family uh, member with with you, especially if you know if the person has a medical condition which is quite common complex Uh, you know I'm very blessed in my practice I see a lot of uh, elderly couples that are still together and together that they make things work one does their their part one may do the housework one does the bills and what somebody is battling off a cancer where the other one may, may may have a mild case of dementia so it's very important you know, if that's the case, it is good to, to have a, you know, if you need a, a translator or somebody which can really grasp more of what's going on because most of the time a person can just grasp so so much during that, that short time. So it's good to have two there to write down for for myself. We actually have a visit summary that the patient gets at the check which which prints out, you know, what what pills that, that they're on, the changes that we have made, and what's what's the plan. You know, they are to come back in three weeks. We want to get fasting lab work be before that. We are going to try this and that first. If it works out fine, if it doesn't improve within the three weeks, please call us up before then, or we may call up them to see how that they're that they are doing, uh, you know, the next two, 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 three uh, days for them. So, How is visit, you? it's very important to know if, if you're not sure, it's best to deal with the truth and to be honest and just say, you know, Doc, I'm ha- I'm having a hard time trying to understand you. There may be, you know, an accent or maybe using fancy, fancy medical terms, you know, and such. So. You know it's good to crank it down a notch and to give the feedback to the doctor so that she can know how to do it because really the goals are to help you feel better and for the the patient to understand their their health and to know what they can do uh, to improve their health. Uh, Trying to optimize non-medical ways of proper life lifestyle and that and also have some what we call contingency plans in place, you know, if you have congestive heart failure, for example, you know, what's the signs that that is getting worse during a week so that you can give give us a call on a Wednesday or Thursday, and we can get you in and get you tuned up before the weekend comes.
2: All right. Now, as you think about uh, all the issues you deal with seeing predominantly seniors, Medicare, eligible seniors you really touched on an important topic and it's one that uh... lots of communities are, are looking at and that's health literacy how much do your patients really understand uh... when you talk with them and carol mentioned once you finish the visit often what happens after they leave your office can be critical to their health
5: it's very critical you know. Uh... That's why that one of the things that they, that they teach at the med school is to ask the patient back, you know, well, what do you understand about what we've covered this visit and what, what would you do if you began to get chest, chest, chest pain or if you began to get short, short of breath or, or if you checked your sugars and they were below 80, you know, or what? So these are very
2: or above three hundred.
5: Yeah, important things to discuss, and, and the goal is a again the the patient and the caregiver needs to know, you know what what to do, what things that they can 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 do at home, which are, are simple, and also to know what to do if that doesn't work you know what's the contact information you know how are you going to reach the doctor after hours we
2: are flat out of time out of time we ran out of time and and oh
5: sorry about that no no it's perfect (laughs) we (laughs) We could talk for a long time i know that about that
2: well we could and we could do that again and i didn't even get a chance to uh talk about the book you had written about uh health and uh midlife in women
5: Thank you so, we'll so much. We'll talk about yeah, that the, the, the Midlife Health Guide for Men, and the other book was the Midlife Health Guide for Women, which is uh, available if you just do a quick search online, You'll those, those, the uh, contact and web page will, will, will pop up.
2: Dr. Rio, thank you very much. And, thank uh, you so much. We didn't even get to talk about voodoo, so I have to do that next time from New Orleans, right?
5: It's amazing. You know, a, a, a person's health is the most important commodity. It's worth the time. And please, you know, try to discuss and just to right. be open with your doctor what your concerns you have. Got to
2: stop you. Thank you very much. Appreciate you coming on. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zernia. Up next, Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman right here on Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. One of the things I'd love to talk about with uh, Dr. Robin Eikoff, I'm Ron Aaron, by the way, is prevention, and it's something that WellMed spends a lot of time on.
4: We do spend a lot of time on prevention because the fact is we know when we spend time on prevention, people live longer, healthier lives.
2: So what do you look for in in terms of preventing disease?
4: Well, as a provider, we're going to spend a lot of time with our patients looking at lab work, doing tests, looking for things early, encouraging preventative exams like an eye exam, uh, mammograms, colonoscopies, all the things that help us prevent severe illness.
2: And it's one of the things that WellMed has always prided itself on.
4: We've always been the forerunner for prevention, and now everybody's jumping on board, and I'm glad to see it.
2: Giving new meaning to patient-centered health care. Yes, it does. Dr. Robin Eickhoff, I'm Ron Aaron. By the way, you catch us on WellMed Radio Saturdays at 5 in the afternoon, right here on 930 AM, The Answer. We are rocking right along on Caregiver SOS on air, rolling into the conclusion of each of our shows, which is Take 10, a discussion, a topic thrown out, and Dr. Jamie Heisman, nationally known psychotherapist, deals with addictions and caregiving, and Carol Zernio, nationally known gerontologist, bat around a topic. I'm Ron Aaron. And last week we talked about tedium. Now we're at the other end of the spectrum, are we not? Independence. What do you mean
6: by that?
3: Well, I was recently speaking at a conference in Houston, and we were talking about um, we actually you know we talked about isolation when we talked about tedium, but we were talking about isolation and, and and what it's like to be a caregiver and what it's like to be a senior. So my question, Jamie, is in the United States we value above all things independence, and sometimes independence is may not be the best thing when you need help and you need to care for somebody. So what is the role of, you know, what does independence do for us as caregivers in this society? Do you think it's a problem?
6: Well, independence has got so many, you know, definitions here. And independence in terms of, of being free from, from, let's say, things that we need to prop ourselves up with, I think we're talking about interdependence as the optimum state. Independence, you know, that's a question of freedom and being, you know, having your, let's say, your emotional issues, your anxiety and everything kind of in check. So it's a, to be independent, I should say, you need a self-care plan because if you're not independent with a self-care plan, chances are you're probably depending upon something externally, and that never helps our
5: self-esteem.
3: Well, and we were talking about the way people are beginning to organize themselves differently now. Um, so, you know, once upon a time, it was the family unit. Everybody lived together. Then, you know, the children stayed in the same town. Everybody was close by. We took care of each other and maybe even lived in the same house. You know, and then we went to all the Del Webb properties and older people went and lived in these, you know, communities and had somebody else taking care of them. And, you know, we kind of gave up that role. And now people are creating their own communities where with the village movement um, and some movements where you buy houses next to each other, you take care of each other, help each other take care of your loved ones, and it's kind of like a whole new community.
6: You know, it's totally that. Support has to come from from this interdependence I'm describing. And, for instance, this is a very cultural issue. You know, if you look at, for instance, Asians or African-Americans or Hispanics, Independence has a different sort of meaning for them because they surround themselves in a powerful way with their extended family. If you look at Anglo's independence, often that really does mean independence, and you don't have those connections as much to the extended family.
3: Well, and the, and the result of that is you have the older person, you know, maybe living, living alone or living, caring for a loved one, with, without the supports and feeling like there's something wrong if they have to ask for help.
2: Same issue the caregiver faces, asking for help. They don't want to do that. Does the independent senior not want to ask for help, Jamie?
6: Well, the independent senior is is really grasping onto their independence as almost the the bastion, the last bastion of of being here. It's a beautiful thing to be independent of, you know, artificial props or even, you know, medical sort of remedies. It's, It's a wonderful thing to have your two feet on the ground and be that way. But that's why I believe that this whole caregiving process needs to be communicated, discussed, and it needs to be kind of hydrated, meaning you kind of have to wrap yourselves up around a loved one without suffocating them, where you allow their independence to be primal, to be the first thing, to be priority. But obviously they can only do what they can do based upon what they have. So if it's a cognitive impairment, The system needs to adjust accordingly, get closer, get more supportive. But if it's not, and it can be independent, we need to move out and let them be independent.
2: I heard a neat story the other day. A woman uh, bought a house on our block. house went up for sale. She lives in Dallas. She's moving down here to be closer to her family. She's 90 years old, got a 30-year mortgage. That's optimism.
6: (laughs) (laughs) That's optimism. That's also, unfortunately, probably not a good remedy for a reverse mortgage. (laughs) <laughs> she still has 30 years left. But um, that, that's a fabulous story. And I think independence is changing, isn't it, Ron? I mean, my father's 87. He goes to work every day as an immigration attorney, whereby I see people, you know, at 70 that, that doesn't have the vitality or independence he has.
2: Well, when I was a kid, 60 was old.
6: Yeah. I mean, I just turned 60. And whoever thought, you know, the who said, I hope I die before I grow old. And somehow we believe that.
2: And now we live beyond our means in many cases. That's right,
3: And the Who's still on tour, as you know. And guess who's coming back
2: this summer? Grateful Who? Dead are touring. <laughs> True. So we'll have a say on. True story. Gary, no, right? well, well, Jerry
6: Garcia won't be with. He'll be with, the with them in them.
2: spirit. They'll all wear Jerry Garcia ties. But they're
6: touring this summer. Well, not to make a rock and roll analogy, but if you remember the Deadheads that did go with him, Yes. They were all interdependent as a community. They would go from city to city. Uh, I don't think they were really independent either because drugs and alcohol were a huge part of their lives. Yes, that's right. I think there was great dependency. But I think that independence is something to be valued. But I also think it's something that we need to really honor in our, our seniors and our caregiver and adjust accordingly. And to do that, it requires you to take care of yourself so that, you know, you, you can have boundaries, you can have a safe vessel, and people can feel safe with you.
2: Well, there's independence. I'm sorry, Carol, you look so disappointed. <laughs> I didn't mean to jump in. Go ahead.
3: No, I was, just gonna, <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Poor Carol. <laughs> there, what, what people may be looking for is dignity. And sometimes, you know, if we can help people maintain that dignity, than giving up the independence, which sometimes we have to do when we do need help, when there really is more than we can do. Well and take the um, car. Well, and that in life may be better in a community, it takes a village, maybe that's not such a bad thing. Uh, so the question is how do we how do we maintain dignity for the caregiver, for the loved one, so that everybody still feels valued, even though they're having to ask for help and do things that maybe they don't see as helping as being independent, which has such you know high value in American culture.
6: You know, Carol, that's a great point, and I think our listening audience needs to understand that independence does not necessarily mean staying at home. That independence may be best served in an assisted living environment, a place that's trained, has social programs, that have people to allow somebody to be independent, but also to be able to take care of their own medical needs, and so. You know, we often confuse this independence for the fact that we're going to take care of our loved one forever. Well, we may be fostering great dependency in that doing that.
4: Well,
3: and I think that's an excellent point because we don't associate skilled living facility or assisted living with independence. We think that's the opposite, and we don't realize that as somebody has Alzheimer's in a safe environment, you know, sort of a gated community... Uh, where they are free to roam. I'm thinking of a facility I know where it's built in a square, and the caregiver can just walk and walk and walk and visit and visit and visit, and they're always just going to keep going around in the same circle. But it's a nice big circle with interesting things and different people along the route. Um, and it's very safe, but that person can be very independent where somebody wandering around a regular neighborhood at, you know out of a normal home, that would be a dangerous thing. At risk. So it's a great point. It's a
6: relative thing. It's independence is relative. And I I must tell you, your point taken, uh, that that doesn't necessarily happen at home. It can happen in assisted living. It can happen in a residential environment.
2: My mother hated the residential assisted living because her point was they are all old.
3: (laughs) Those old people in that. Yes, yes.
2: And she was right, of course. She was one of them, but didn't see herself that way.
3: Yes, my 97-year-old
6: aunt does that. You know, I'm sure our time is short, but to to really start discussing this with your loved one of what independence means to them and all these contingencies and mitigating factors of aging that we can bring up and actually discuss if our loved one is cognitively able to discuss, I don't think that we can do that too soon. I think this conversation is an important one to, like to Carol's point, to see what dignity is and what independence is and to share this with your loved one.
5: Well
3: and and I think the conversation also needs to be about, you know, painting that picture about what you want life to look like and maybe you're willing that you will you realize you're willing to give up a few things, give up some of that independence to get those other things, that feeling of community, that support that allows you to get out and maybe you may have a fuller life if you're just willing to let go of a few things. And and maybe that means independence to you, but it could be a good thing. I
6: like that. Dr. Jamie, she gets you the last If your becoming independent, then you, too, have time to take care of yourself and become independent mind, body, and spirit as well.
2: Got to say goodbye. Thank you. Dr. Jamie Heisman, Carol Zernio, you've been listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on air. <clears throat> Pardon me, I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to us on 930 AM, The Answer, and you hear this show Sunday afternoons at 6 p.m.
1: You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.